Isaiah chapter 53, I say it's one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament. And yet, if you were to ask a Jewish person, even an Orthodox Jewish person, who of all the Jewish sects are the most devoted to the study of the Hebrew Scriptures about Isaiah 53 and explain its contents to them, 90% plus of them would look at you like you were crazy. I've never heard of that passage before. I am told that every year there is a public reading over the course of the Sabbaths of the prophet Isaiah. But they skip this passage. Now, before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s, they could sort of kind of have an excuse for that because they could say, hey, the oldest Hebrew the oldest uh, manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible that we have are from like 1,000 A.D. And so there were actually Jewish rabbis that said, oh, you know, that Isaiah 53, that's really a Christian insertion in the prophet Isaiah. It's not really there in the original. Now, they didn't all say that, but some of them did. But they all did their best to slide right by it. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the mid-40s. And these were scrolls from clay pots who were probably this high. I mean, these were on the east, to the east of Jerusalem. They discovered these scrolls, and they dated from pre-Jesus, from about 100 years and more older than before the birth of Jesus. And they unrolled the scroll of Isaiah. And there it was. There it was. So that excuse is gone. But they still skip over it. Because it is so obviously Jesus, they just don't want to talk about it. Now, I'm not bringing us to this passage in order to humiliate Jewish people who want to ignore this passage or to tap dance on them in any way. But I'm bringing us to this passage because it is so important to us as well as to them. Because I know of no passage in the entire... The, the Old Testament is three-quarters of our Bible. And you can go to other passages in the Old Testament that, that track with this, but putting this all in one place is so powerful and here it is in fact i'm going to begin reading not in chapter 53 verse 1 but actually in 52 13 because this, that's really the beginning of the thought of the whole process isaiah 52 13 behold my servant shall deal prudently he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, his face, was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Jesus was arrested, bound, given a, an illegal 
trial. It was against Jewish law to have a trial at night. Yet when was Jesus tried before the Sanhedrin at night? With just the right people there that we could get the decision we want and they still couldn't make it work. And then they took Jesus to Pilate. And when Pilate found out that Jesus was from Galilee and owned that fellow Herod Antipas, he's the ruler of Galilee. You know, you take him over to Herod Antipas, he'll figure out what to do. And so they brought Jesus in before Herod Antipas bound. And the soldiers of Herod Antipas put a bag and they beat Jesus. They beat his face. Tell us, prophet Jesus, who struck you? What's the name of the person who just struck you? He could have named them, by the way. But he was there to suffer. He was there to receive what they were giving. His visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle, it says in my New King James. It could also be translated startle. And I think both of them are valid translations. So shall he sprinkle, startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. What king actually suffers for his people? Whoa, this is a servant ruler who really is a servant ruler. So shall he startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, we've never heard of a, a ruler, a king, serving like this. For what had not been told them, they shall see, and what they had not heard, they shall consider, whoa, I better reconsider what it means to be a king. Here's the par excellence example of it, and it's not what I've been told. Would somebody else like to have this wrong? <laughs> who has believed, 53.1, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, been revealed? What does it look like when God's strength shows up? For he, the arm of the Lord, that's who Jesus is, the arm of the Lord, the expressed strength of God to accomplish for us what we couldn't possibly accomplish for ourselves. He is the arm of the Lord. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, the arm of the Lord, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry, dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, we don't even know what Jesus looked like. And boy, am I glad. <laughs> or we'd have people who resembled Jesus walking around, parading around like they were somehow special. No, we don't know what he looked like. No, we, I mean, you see paintings of Jesus. And they're mostly middle-aged Italian guys because <laughs> that's who was doing the paintings. We don't know what he looked like. But what it does say of him, there was nothing about his physical appearance that would have said, oh, wow, that's got to be the Messiah. No. He came as a servant. He wasn't drawing attention to himself based on his 
physical appearance. He was drawing, when he drew attention to himself, it was based on what he said and what he did. What he said and what he did. Now the great remembered rulers of human history, what do we see? We see the etchings in the walls and we see them seated on their thrones or seated on their chargers, you know, with their armor on. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He came as a servant. But everything he said was true. Not only did he say in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth passes away, not one jot or one tittle, not one smallest letter of the Hebrew language, nor part of a letter, meaning meaningful part of a letter, will pass away till all is fulfilled. But so it was with his own words. His words that he spoke were undiluted truth, designed to set us free and then he to demonstrate who he was that you need to pay attention to my words he healed the sick he cleansed lepers he cast the demons out of people he raised the dead he calmed the storm He turned water into wine. He did all of these things so we would have exactly what our court system insists on, evidence. Things that were seen, just as we were talking about last week. On Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene saw, heard, clung to. The apostles saw, heard. Thomas, reach forward your finger and put it in the nail prints. Reach forward your hand and put it in my side. My Lord and my God. And then that man took the gospel to India and and chose death in India at the hand of his persecutors rather than denying what he had seen and heard. But Jesus came. He told the truth. He demonstrated the authority of who he was based on his miracles. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. As we've gone through Matthew's gospel, it's been head, I mean, opposition, 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 every step of the way. He He was despised and rejected of men, even though he presents proof after proof after proof. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, which means we, if you despise something, you give it no value. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Notice what it is said. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Sure, he has borne our griefs. Oh, wait. The griefs that he's carrying, where did those come from? He's, he, his father actually took the griefs and the outcome of the griefs and our sin, and his father put it on him. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, dis, we esteemed him stricken, 
smitten by God and he and afflicted. He, he's getting what he deserves. He's getting what he deserves. Annas and Caiaphas stood at the foot of the cross of Jesus, the high priest of Israel. If you're the son of God, why don't you come down off of that cross? He could have. He chose not to. Because he was bearing our sin. He was carrying a load for us that we couldn't, well, if we were to carry it, we would be carrying it for an eternity in the lake of fire. He took on the cross between the time about 12 noon when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And about three in the afternoon, there was an unnatural darkness that covered that part of Palestine. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And three hours later, he cried out, it is finished. It's paid in full. The sin debt of the human race has been paid by me. He carried our griefs. He carried our sorrows. And yet the people standing and observing the cross, oh, he's getting what he deserved. But he was wounded for our transgressions. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought he was getting from God what he deserved. No, he was getting from God what we deserve. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace. It would bring peace to us was upon him. The New Testament says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before coming to faith in Christ, we are at war with God. We're enemies of God. When we come to faith in Christ, we go from being God's enemies to God's friends. All these terms are used of us. Friends, children, sons, daughters. I'll take that. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. The chastisement that would bring peace to us was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. He brings the healing into us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. A few days ago, I had an appointment about 80 yards in that direction is Dr. Speck. He's a dermatologist. Dr. Speck is, his real fame isn't the dermatologist in Kerrville. His real fame is he is one of the most successful and prominent breeders of Angora goats in the United States of America. He goes all over the United States judging Angora goats. And in fact, he told me, oh yeah, I've got, I think he said 300 kids on the ground right now. That's a big operation. And I made the comment to him, of course, he's also along the way raised sheep. And I said, you know, in the Bible, 
when God calls us sheep, I don't think that's a compliment. And he says, no, <laughs> it's not a compliment. Folks, if you've ever raised, anybody here ever raised sheep? Dumb. Especially if you're, now goats are not Albert Einstein. Goats are not geniuses. But if you've raised goats and then you raise sheep, oh man, there's a lesson there. The sheep, if there's a dumb thing to do, they'll find it and do it. And Dr. Speck, oh yeah, that's not a compliment when God calls us sheep or lambs. No. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned. We have turned everyone to his own way. Every one of us has turned to his own way. No exceptions. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't bearing his own sin. He had none. He was bearing the load of our sin. It was laid on him by his righteous judge father. What was deserving to us was laid on him. The truth of here's my crime list. Here's my crime list. And he laid that on Jesus, his son's shoulders and treated Jesus as if I were the one on the cross, as if he were me and you and everybody else. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of an eternity in the lake of fire for the entire human race was poured out on God the Son, become flesh, and he could do it because of who he was. God the Son become flesh. The weight of who he was, the reality of who he was, qualified him to bear the sin penalty for an entire human race. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, meaning he's given an unfair trial. Oppression is unfair treatment. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Before the Sanhedrin, aren't you going to say anything? Listen to your accusers before Pontius Pilate. Aren't you going to answer them? I've never had anybody before me who was about to be crucified that wasn't begging me and telling me why they were innocent. You're saying nothing. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The first church that I ever pastored was in eastern Kansas, little town of Colony, Kansas, mostly retired farmers. But there was a couple in the church and they, one of their things they made money doing was raising sheep. And one time, and they, their place where they raised the sheep was right across the road from the house we were living in. So we were over there, and this guy, Ralph, he's, he's shearing the sheep. And he's got this sheep, and, his, and my wife said, I can't believe that sheep isn't saying anything. I mean, it's just accepting it. And Ralph looked at her and said, as the sheep before its shears is silent, 
oh, yeah, okay, learning experience. Because the sheep, in fact, do go dumb when they start getting handled that way. Because they don't know what to do, and so they just kind of go into delirium almost. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? It looks like this is the end of him. And what did Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, we're done with him now. We've won. We've succeeded. And then when they put Jesus in the tomb, they remember, oh, you know, hey, we just remembered that guy, Jesus, says something about rising from the dead. So they went to Pontius Pilate and they said, would you please put some soldiers around his tomb and put a seal on that tomb doorway because he said, this is the high priest, <laughs> he said he will rise again on the third day. So we want a three-day guard on the tomb because his disciples will probably come and try to steal the body so they can claim that he rose from the dead. So they put these Roman soldiers there at the tomb to keep Jesus in it. What's weird is the disciples didn't remember that Jesus had said that. I think that was a divine deafness because they sure remembered it later. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was stricken. Not his own transgressions, ours. And they made his grave with the wicked. This is 700 years before Jesus is born. They made his grave with the wicked, crucified between two thieves. But with the rich at his death. Put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, just hewn out, just brand new. Hewn out of a rock. Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin, a Jewish leader. He had had this tomb cut out of a rock for himself. He's obviously not inhabiting it yet. And so he had become a secret follower of Jesus, as did Nicodemus, another member of the Sanhedrin. And they took the body of Jesus. They asked permission of Pilate, may we have his body. And they, took, they received the body of Jesus. By the way, they made themselves ritually unclean by handling a dead carcass. And they took the body of Jesus, wrapped it with linen, with the spices and all that, and then they put it in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And the stone was rolled into place, which weighed between one and two tons. And then it was sealed with a Roman seal. Those Roman soldiers guarding that tomb, if that seal gets broken, they lose their lives. They have a gigantic incentive to stay awake. <laughs> Just three days, guys. You can take turns sleeping, and that's what they would do. They would, they would do it as a shift, and they would take turns, but they are going to have somebody awake. He's put, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. 
because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Once he said, it is finished, is paid in full. He dismissed his spirit into the hands of the father. His carcass is then taken and put into the rich man's tomb. The fellows crucified with him had their legs broken so they would die. Jesus had already dismissed his spirit. They died, and they probably got thrown out in the trash dump covered with about three inches of dirt. And what do we say to this? How horrible. How horrible. How horrible. But that's not what the Holy Spirit says. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. What did Jesus say there at noon? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to be bold here. I'm, I'm, I, I don't really believe it's what the Romans did to Jesus. I think that may have been part of the suffering necessary. But Jesus had already been on the cross three hours when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And dark, unnatural darkness came over that region of Palestine for three hours. And his Father poured out on him heaven's judgment. His Father bruised his father punished him for my sin. I was the one deserving of punishment, but he meted it out to his son instead. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Why? For God so loved you and me. How much does God love me? He loves me. He loves you so much. Do not listen to Satan. Satan wants to tell you you're not qualified. Satan wants to tell you that death of Christ on the cross was for other people, not you. Lie. The qualification for being welcome into heaven is to understand you're not qualified. The qualification is that, as James says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. I'm sorry, if you think you got something to declare yourself welcome to God that's not Jesus, you better sh sh get rid of that and come before God as a beggar. God only accepts beggars. And then he pours out his riches, the riches of his mercy on beggars. And that's why James says, and let the rich glory in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass and its flower falls and his beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will fade away in his pursuits. But the lowly brother, a welcome with God. So rich man, throw off your riches. At least in your own mind, before God, you are not wealthy. You come with an empty tin cup. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you, reader, make his soul an offering for sin, what do I, when I come to God, what do I bring? 
I bring the death of his son. That's my claim to a welcome. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, the outcome. He shall prolong his days. He will pour blessing on you, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. For he, he shall see, he, God, shall see the labor, the tra- I like the old King James, the travail of his soul, and be satisfied. It is finished. It's paid in full. If you're in the marketplace, and you've got your basket, and you've got your bill that the merchant has given you, and you open your bag and you give him the proper coins and he's okay, he writes across your bill the same word Jesus cried out from the cross to tell us die, paid in full. If you're in the courtroom and you've been convicted of a series of crimes, they make out a bill and when you come out of the salt mine, we'll say that the salt mines is the last thing on the list after you've gotten beaten with rods and whatever other tortures they've done. They write that same word, to tell us I paid in full across it, and they scroll roll it up and hand it to you so you can nail it to your front door. Satisfied. Satisfied. Bill is paid. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by my right my understanding, my relationship with him. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, this is God speaking about his son. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. What does Jesus say after his resurrection? What does he say to the apostles? All power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That means the heir of everything. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That's us. When we get to heaven, Jesus is going to take his inheritance and say, here, I'm sharing this with you. Because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus did what the Father called on him to do to walk into the inheritance of all things. And so Jesus could say, Matthew 28, to the apostles, all authority, all power, Everything has devolved to me. It's all come to me. And he eagerly, not only does he forgive us and clean away our debt, he says, now that your hands are empty, allow me to fill them. I'm going to treat you as my fellow heirs and eagerly pour out this bounty on you. Now, as we come to the Lord's table, that's what we're commemorating.
at the Last Supper, immediately before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus is, of course, they're doing the Passover meal, but here's this unleavened bread. Leaven is uh, used as a picture of sin. This is unleavened bread. This is my body, sinless, broken for you. Then he will say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant, the new contract that was prophesied 600 years before in Jeremiah 31. I will make a new covenant with you, Israel. Not like the one we made on Sinai, which you broke, which was based on your performance. Uh, you didn't perform well. I will, I will, I will your sins and iniquities remember no more. And Jesus says, fellows, we're initiating the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This commemorates what the suffering, the shed blood that I'm about to pour out on Calvary. That will make the complete forgiveness of your sins a reality in God's creation. We will solve the problem that Satan thought was unsolvable. And you will find a welcome. For Satan was expecting to have the whole human race inhabiting the lake of fire with him, which was created for him. Not going to happen. All those members of the human race who cast themselves on God's mercy, possible through Jesus' death on the cross, are exempted. They're delivered. Jim and Bob, would you join me here?